especially Ron, Jim Scully. Ron mentioned he was thankful for you, and we said we're very thankful for Jim. John chapter 13. If you are not part of one of our Sunday morning small Bible study groups, Sunday school classes, um, Bible fellowships, whatever, whatever you call it, the things that we do at 930, and I'm speaking primarily to adults here, uh, make sure that you get involved in one of those classes. We have some excellent teachers, some great times of fellowship, encouragement of each other, praying together, learning together, uh, sometimes crying together. But this past uh, six weeks in the adult classes, we were going through a study on loving our neighbors. And I thought it was excellent. Uh, it, was a very, it was a help. It was a challenge to me. It was a help to our class. Had some great discussions. But we looked at some things like, who is my neighbor? We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. And that question that came back to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And so we talked about who is our neighbor. We talked about what does loving our neighbors look like. And again, all these were meant to challenge us to look inward to say, you know, how am I doing in these areas? We talked about praying for our neighbors. We talked about honoring our neighbors, about forgiving our neighbors. And then this past Sunday, the lesson or the the series concluded with sharing Christ, sharing the gospel with our neighbors. So in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, again, we've talked a lot about this lately in a number of different messages that Pastor Bill has preached some of the parallel passages as we finished the book of Luke and we came kind of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so this event takes place at the last Passover where the Lord's Supper was instituted, Christ was about ready to be arrested, and the mock trials and conviction and ultimately crucifixion uh, just, you know, hours before all those things happened. This is where the setting for this uh, story begins here in Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, and the devil, having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God, He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done done to you? Ye calleth me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then turn back to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here, verse 42 through 45. Mark 10, verse 42. The Bible says, But Jesus called them to him and saith unto him, Ye know that, you, that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the truth, the pure words that you have given us that have been preserved through all eternity. And Lord, speak to us tonight through your words, through the examples that uh, Christ demonstrated as he grabbed a towel and knelt down humbly before his disciples and began to wash their feet. Lord, thank you for giving that uh, picture to us in your word. And thank you for reminding us in Mark's gospel that you came not to be served, but you came to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. Father, may we learn from your example this evening, be challenged to love our neighbors as we were told in your word, as we love ourselves. So, Father, may you speak to us tonight. Thank you for uh, the work that you do in our church and in our midst. May you be glorified this evening. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I've entitled this message, Lessons I Learned from Roger. Um, Many of you have heard me speak about Roger Lichtig over the years. And um, this is a man that I came to know through the ministry of our church here. And uh, Roger Lichtig, born January 3rd, 1943, died July 2nd, 2022. This is Roger's obituary. Roger Lichtig passed away on July 2nd, 2022, devoted father of Raymond Harjo, cherished, cherished son of the late William Lichtig, and Sarah Emmerman, loving brother of Dolores Smart. That's it. That's Roger's obituary. 79 years old, father of Raymond, son of William and Sarah, brother of Dolores. I met Roger probably about 12 years ago. Our church's very first Love North Olmstead Day that happened in the spring of 2010. And many of you have met Roger over the years, so you maybe can relate a little bit to some of the things I'll share here. But uh, I wanted to comment first on Roger's personality. Before I get to the things that, that God taught me, that I wanted to share with our church tonight and challenge us and challenge myself as well. Roger was not exactly Mr. Congeniality. Uh, pleasant, agreeable is what that, that word means. In fact, he was quite the opposite of that. Grumpy, gruff, harsh, known to bark orders at you like a boss. But I came to to learn over the years that Roger, although he had a very hard exterior, had a very soft interior. 
And what I came to understand that what was really going on with Roger was that he was afraid. Roger was afraid, uh, for one thing, of losing his home. And I've learned this from Jim over the years as he's uh, dealt with many seniors in similar situations. He was afraid of losing his home. He was afraid of having no place to go. And he did not have the wherewithal to really take care of his property any longer, even 12 years ago when I first got to know him. He didn't have the physical ability. He was disabled. He was a very large man, uh, overweight substantially. And he didn't have the financial wherewithal to take care of his property. So he had to depend upon others to make sure that things were cared for and that he would not draw the attention of the city who would come in and possibly determine that he was unable to care for things himself. And so he had to make sure he had people who could do things that he was no longer able to do. And uh, so he had to depend on those others. And I think he felt that if he did not push those people to get as much as he possibly could out of them, that there was a good chance that he would probably lose everything. So he was desperate and he was afraid. And I think that is what led him to be grumpy and gruff, at least on the exterior, in terms of how he presented himself. But in spite of that hard exterior, Roger became a man that I, that I grew to deeply care for, and I would say even love. And, uh, but Roger had a very serious problem. And his problem, and I'm sure he would list off many things if you were to ask him that, that question, but his very serious problem was that he did not know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And so Roger became kind of my pet project. He was a lost man, and I desperately wanted to see him trust the Lord as his Savior before he left this earth. Unfortunately, Roger is not, I would not label him as someone who is open to the gospel. Many of you probably know people like that. In fact, almost every time I would bring the subject up as quickly as he possibly could, he would try to cut that off and say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about the things of the Bible. I'm not interested in coming to your church. I can do church here at my house. I mean, things like that. But, uh, and, and that maybe was harder in the beginning. He got a little softer with that. But there are times where I, I just had to be very creative in terms of how I worked that, that topic into the gospel. And in spite of describing how he responded, as oddly enough, he still considered me his pastor. And so when I met his son follow, following his passing, he said, oh, you're my dad's pastor. And uh, I thought, that's just interesting that he would consider that um, because he just didn't want to spend much time talking about the things of God. So as I mourned for Roger's passing, recent passing, I wanted to take some time to reflect on a number of lessons that the Lord has taught me over the years of working with Roger. And I wanted to share those with my church family tonight. And so, again, I say these things realizing that the, and wanting to communicate that one of the primary objectives that uh, I had in mind as I spent a lot of time with this man is that I wanted to win him to the Lord. In fact, I was convinced that Roger at some point before he left this earth, would bow his knee and trust Jesus Christ as, as his Lord and Savior. 
And so here are seven things that I learned from Roger. First thing is this, number one, look for common connections. Look for common connections. Now, most of you, I think, probably know this. You've, you've thought about this. If you've tried to reach family members, if you've tried to reach lost neighbors, you look for things that we have in common and work to build your relationship on those common factors. Roger loved his yard. If any of you had an opportunity to go there and serve him and help him, you know how much he loved his yard. He loved flowers. He loved ornamental grasses. He loved the flower beds. He loved to raise vegetables. And looking back over the years, the reason why he loved that so much is because it brought memories to him. The flowers reminded him of his mother. In fact, he would say, my mom planted this bush X number of years before she died. And uh, these flowers reminded me of my mom when she was younger. And so he spent a lot of time working in his gardens. In fact, um, I can only imagine some of the thoughts that people may have gone through their mind when they saw him. Roger was, he was not lazy by any stretch. He wasn't trying to work the system to get as much as he possibly could. He really just could not do things himself. And so it was not unusual to see Roger laying flat on his stomach in the middle of his yard working in a flower garden. And because it was hard for him to get up, he would just roll, like, you know, roll sideways from one part of his yard to another part of the yard. And I'm sure that that generated a lot of snickers by those that saw that. I probably would have laughed if I would have seen that too and said, Roger, what are you doing? But that happened quite often. And uh, he wanted to take care as best he could of the things that he had. Well, as I've gotten older, I like flowers. Both of my grandfathers had beautiful gardens and beautiful flower beds and certain types of flowers that they liked. And now as I've gotten older, if you came to my house, you would see all kinds of flowers. Right, Laura, you were there recently. And, and I can tell you what each one of them is and whether it's a perennial or annual and how to care for it. And so that was a common bond that Roger and I had, and it gave an opportunity to build that relationship. And I could talk about how God created all of the beauty of those flowers and, and uh, that, you know, flowers, as great as they are, and maybe if you love flowers, you're seeing this now, they're starting to wither and die. In fact, I've already, I've already emptied a couple of my planters out as fall is coming to an end. And so it just, I had to be creative with Roger. You know, how every way I could try to work the gospel in and work the fact that eternity is real in was something, again, part of what God was teaching me on how to continue to be creative and trying to work with Roger. Roger loved sports. He was a former basketball coach and a former track coach, and he loved volleyball. And so he's always asking about Abby's volleyball, and he'd watch volleyball on TV, and he'd want to talk about strategy and stuff like that. He knew my background as a coach and as an athletic director, and, and so for, he loved the Indians, and he, he loved the Cavs. And so, again, we could always talk about that. And, and so that was a connection that, again, I tried to leverage as much as possible. And then Roger loved kids. Um, he was a school teacher. He was a retired school teacher in Cleveland. And um, if you ever wanted to see the gruff exterior quickly melt away, just bring some kids around. And maybe some of the kids worked for Love North Homestead Day. Or Cheryl and, and uh, Tracy both brought their kids earlier this spring, early summer, and worked in their yard and helped plant vegetables. And, and again, Roger just would light up with that. So look for common connections and build relationship, relationships with those that you want to see one to the Lord with those common connections. Number two, service to our Lord takes a willingness to sacrifice. Service to our Lord 
takes a willingness to sacrifice our time, our energy, uh, to be inconvenienced. And to be honest, I, I really struggled with this over the years. I struggled with finding time to, to build into my schedule, cutting Roger's grass once a week, which I, I think I ended up doing for the last six, seven, eight years. And um, I really didn't have time to do for him all the things uh, that uh, I felt I had responsibility to do here at the church or other ministry responsibilities. But I also felt it was the Lord that was leading me to do it. And so I didn't want to just dismiss it and say, I don't have time for this. So the bottom line is I made time. I made time to go over and help Roger on a weekly basis. And I sacrificed some other things that I normally would have done in order to go and help him. And so realizing that service to our Lord takes a willingness to sacrifice some things, our time, our energy, our inconvenience, the challenge is to to determine, to choose to allow yourself to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Allow yourself to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Don't become so busy that we don't have time to do things that are necessary to help build relationships, to share the gospel. Um, I was challenged by this almost every time I went to see Roger. Because every time I went to see Roger, I was usually greeted, and I was going there to cut his grass. That's what was in my mind. But every time I was greeted with, I've got a few more things I need, you to for, need for you to do for me today. I've got a couple more things I need you to do. And uh, in all honesty, that would frustrate me at times. Because even before he said hello, it's like, I've got a few things I need you to do. And so I spent time as I've been reflecting on Roger and mourning his loss. I wrote down the things as much as I can remember that he asked me to do. Fix my garage door. Stake my plants. I need you to move some rocks. In the spring, I need you to put the hoses out. In the fall, I need you to bring the hoses back in. I need you to trim my bushes and trim the hedges. I need you to fix my toilet. I need you to take the trash in. I need you to take the trash out. I need you to install a television. I need you to move this big television from one room to another. I need you to help me off the ground when he was down there, you know, rolling around and wasn't able to get up. Uh, I need you to help me unload my car. I need you to run a few errands for me. I need you to go up to the bank. I need you to make this deposit. I need you to make this withdrawal. I need you to run to the store for me. I need you to cut my tall ornamental grasses down at the end of the growing season. I have a a computer at the library that uh, I need you to go pick up. I need you to purchase some food for me. I need you to fix my blinds. Occasionally, he would ask me to fix something, and I would break it worse. And I felt so bad. And that was one of those times where it's like, I'm sorry, Roger, but I was trying to fix this, and I think I broke it even more. I need you to install a door. I need you to fix my car, pump up my tires, give me a jump, etc. I need you to fix my fence. It's falling down. If it falls down, the city will come and show up, and again, I'll get the unwanted attention that I don't, that I don't need. I need you to spray my weeds. I need you to sort my laundry. I need you to install an AC unit in my window. I need you to replace the window pane in, in one of my uh, bedroom windows. I need you to replace the wheels and the mower. And of course, cut the grass. And so many of you know that. You helped him. I, people like Sandy and Tracy and Cheryl and Bill Johnson and the Harbaugh's and Marvin and Jim and Dina and Rose and Chris and Abby and others that were, I'm sure, here tonight that helped Roger. You say, well, you know, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm too busy to do things like that. And so I would just challenge you, whose life is it? 
your life or does it really belong to the Lord? Does, does your life, does my life really belong to the Lord? Can he change our agenda and what, what it is we're supposed to be focused on? During that, that Sunday school series, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37, we won't go back there. I think most of us know that story well. But um, the Pharisee, the scribe, walked past the, the man that was injured and uh, did not do anything to help with him. Maybe they thought, I'm too busy. Maybe they thought, you know, he, he deserves what he's getting. He probably, some sin in his life probably brought this, this difficulty, this pain upon himself. Who knows what they were thinking? I mean, the Bible doesn't really clearly say that. But here, along comes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan may have been on a road going somewhere with an agenda and a place he needed to be, but he wasn't too busy to help this one that was in, in great need. In fact, not only was, did he stop and inconvenience himself, he also sacrificed. He said he, he gave him what he had to bind his wounds, to, to get him to a place where he could um, uh, recover. And he left money, as you know, to say, hey, if, if this isn't enough, then the next time I come through, I'll, I'll pay you whatever it takes to, to make sure this man is cared for. So, again, the Good Samaritan gives us a great example of, of that lesson. But service to our Lord requires a willingness to sacrifice our time, our energy to be inconvenienced. Number three, don't get upset when you're treated like a servant. Don't get upset when you're treated like a servant. I've shared this here before, and I'm going to be transparent, I guess, with this, especially these next couple of points where it shows that I've got work to do in my life that I have not arrived yet, that I am not yet like Christ, which you hear, hear me say, which means I have changing to do, growing to do. And uh, don't get upset when you're treated like a servant. Last summer, I was cutting Roger's grass. It was a 90-degree day. I wish I could say I wanted to be there, but I didn't really want to be there. There are other things that were on my mind, places I need to go, things I needed to get done. And, and it was just one of those difficult days, and Roger was barking out orders. In fact, that was one of the days, even before he said hello, he was telling me a list of things he wanted me to do, needed me to do. And so I was cutting grass, and in all honesty, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was thinking, you know, he is treating me like I'm his employee. He's barking out orders like a boss. And it's like, it's like he knows I'm not doing this to make money. I'm not getting paid anything. I'm just doing this to try to be a help to him and a blessing to him and encouragement to him. And so I'm feeling sorry for myself, saying he is treating me like an employee, and I don't like it. And as the Holy Spirit is known to do, and he's done many times to me, unfortunately, one of these times maybe I'll get it. And he said, no, Steve, he's not treating you like an employee. He's treating you like a servant. You know, my first response was, Lord, you're right, that's even worse. That's worse than an employee. I mean, I'm trying to justify the, the, the improper, wicked, evil thoughts and feelings that I was having. And then the Lord, as he's done before, said, well, Steve, are you a servant or not? Why are you out here doing this? Is it for the applause of men? Is it for the attention of people to see you when, when they're driving by to say, wow, that guy really must think a lot of Roger? I mean, and that thought, am I a servant or not? again, really challenged me. Uh, don't be upset when you're treated like a servant. The Lord came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom 
for many. That was the example of Christ. And oftentimes, I fall short of that. I don't like being treated like a servant. But yet, that's, I, I, we need to be okay with that. I need to be okay with that. My Lord was okay with it. And I need to learn to be okay with that. So don't get upset when you're treated like a servant. Number four, and this is somewhat related, nothing is below me. Nothing is below me. Roger's house sits at the corner of Mitchell and Westview. If you walk through the apartments, you know, as the crow flies, it's less than a half a mile from here. You come out across Lorraine, and you're right there at Westview. And you go to the first stop sign, and that's Mitchell. It's a fairly high traffic area. In fact, I would always kind of chuckle as I was cutting his grass there in the corner that very few cars ever stop for that stop sign. So if you're ever in that area, be alert because they're going to blow right through that stop sign. And it's probably like 90%. I mean, sometimes I, to try to keep my mind occupied, I, I watch little stupid things like that. Well, one day I was watching a car go by, and I noticed on the bumper it had a Capital University bumper sticker on it. That got my attention. Chris and I graduated from Capital University. That's where we met 38 <laughs> 39, 40 years ago, something like that. And uh, Capitol is much like Baldwin Wallace here in this area. Same size school, same athletic conference. And Capitol's in Columbus. And it's somewhat unusual to see a Capitol University bumper sticker in Cleveland area. And so that's why it really kind of piqued my attention. Uh, I went to college four years at Capitol got a degree in business administration. And here's what I'm thinking. This person driving that car probably graduated from Capital. And here I am, a graduate of Capital University, cutting somebody's grass. As I began to think, I said, you know, I, not only that, I graduated from Capital, I moved to Cleveland, went to four years at Cleveland State in grad school. After I went into ministry, I earned three college degrees, two doctorates. I've got a PhD. Here I am cutting grass. Again, I'm, I'm being transparent. The thoughts that go through my mind sometimes, I know we're not pleasing to the Lord. And uh, nothing is below me. And so an unfortunate reality is I still have a problem with pride I still have too much stinking pride in me that has to be purged. In December of 20, I preached a message from this, this very pulpit here that said, you know, we were kind of in the mode at that point of fixing blame on all the many problems that are going on in our country today, and this is the problem, and this is the problem, and this is the problem. And the, the point of that message was the greatest problem in the world today is me. It's me. I'm the biggest problem. I still have things in my life, pride and selfishness, that have to continually be purged on a day in and day out basis. And if I don't, if I'm not disciplined about doing that and dying to self on a daily basis, that self wants to crawl back up here and say, hey, you're above this. Someone else should be doing this. Again, and I think back to the example of my Lord. There was nothing below him. He knelt down and wash the feet, the filthy feet of his disciples. Saved men and a lost man. 
He washed the feet of a lost man. So perhaps pride is a besetting sin that's in my life, and I just need to continue to to make sure that I walk this path that God has put me on where I die to myself on a daily basis and remind myself that, Lord, nothing is below me. And if I start to think more highly than I ought to of myself, Lord, bring me down to where I need to be brought down. One of the ways that we deal with pride, and he's taught me this over the years. Again, you see it's a lesson I keep having to learn, is to nurture humility. Nurture humility. How do I do that? If you want to be humble, do humble things. Go cut someone's grass. Um, One of the reasons why our ladies' restroom backs up, and it's not backed up in a while, but one of the reasons it backs up is because the Lord wants me to go in the ladies' restroom when you all aren't here three or four times a week and make sure it's flowing. And if it's not flowing, get the snake out and start snaking it. Um, Again, I don't say that to try and elevate myself in any way. That really isn't why I'm saying that. It's nothing is below us. And we should be willing to do anything. Again, our Lord was willing. And uh, so if you want to nurture your humility, humility, grow in humility, do humble things. Lord, what humble thing do you want me to do this week? Because we all need to learn this lesson. Don't get upset when you're treated like a servant. Nothing is below me. Number five, be willing to stay for the long haul. Be willing to stay for the long haul. Perhaps this is easier for me because it's my constitution, how, the, how my parents raised me to, to stay focused, to be committed, not to give up. Chris and I have been married, I mentioned, 34 years. I've been a member of Columbia Road Baptist Church for 34 years. Um, I have lived, we've lived in the same house for 33 years. I worked at Ohio Bell Ameritech for 13 years prior to going into ministry. I'm just finishing up here my 23rd year on staff at Columbia Road Baptist Church. I was raised to be committed, faithful, loyal, to keep at it until the goal was reached. When you're trying to reach someone with the gospel, be willing to stay for the long haul. I often thought, why didn't I just give up on Roger? Say, he's not open. He shuts me down most every time I try to say something about the Lord. Shouldn't I move on to greener pastures? Someone's going to be more receptive. I struggled with that. I was counseled by others at times to maybe it's just time to move on. But um, for whatever reason, the Lord wouldn't let me. Maybe it was Roger's soul. Maybe it was just these lessons that God was trying to teach me through serving Roger. But be willing to stay for the long haul. At least be willing. Ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Keep at it? Or do you want me to move on? Be willing to stay for the long haul. Number six, this is a little bit more practical. Make a plan of how you can be reached. Make a plan of how you can be reached. Roger knew how to get a hold of me. He'd call me at least once a week. Or I'd call him if I hadn't heard from him. I was his ADT, I've fallen and I can't get up call. You know, push the button around your neck and they call someone. And I would occasionally get calls from ADT saying, we've not heard from Roger, uh, or he's pressed his, his button, we've dispatched EMS, we wanted to let you know. Um, 
Roger knew how to get a hold of me. But no one else had my numbers or knew how to get a hold of me. You see, in my mind, I guess over the years, I had convinced myself, or maybe not convinced myself, but at least thought, you know, there's a very strong likelihood that Roger's conversion is going to be a, a deathbed conversion in the hospital. I thought about that many times, where he finally was in a place where he knew that his time was short and that he was scared and that he would listen to a complete and full, uninterrupted, unquestioned presentation of the gospel. And I was looking forward with great zeal for that moment. Not that Roger was going to die, but that I have an opportunity finally to share the gospel with him in a clear and complete and concise manner. I just never thought of how the scenario was going to unfold that would leave Roger incapacitated and unable to communicate. I last uh, cut Roger's grass on June 23rd of this year. About a week went by. I had not heard from Roger. I called him several times, left messages. I did not hear back from him. That was odd with Roger. And and so one Saturday, I went over to uh, visit him and uh, hopefully get his grass cut. And his car was sitting in the driveway out of the garage. I thought, that's a great sign. But uh, that is not what happened. You see... Sometime in that last week of June, uh, Roger had went to bed after watching the uh, Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. And I know that because in talking to his son afterwards, they had uh, talked that evening. And they were both, he was, his son lives in California now, but he had lived in Colorado, and that was their team. And so they were excited about the Avalanche winning. And That was just a great conversation that he had with his dad that evening. Roger went off to bed that night, and in the middle of the night, he had a stroke. And um, the home health aide that comes every day to his house uh, knocked on the door, pounded on the door, no response. Eventually went over to a neighbor's house who had a key, uh, went in, found Roger had fallen out of his bed and was unresponsive on the floor. Called EMS. EMS came, took him to Fairview Hospital placed him in ICU where Roger had a heart attack and eventually perished, slipped off into eternity. And so in hindsight, in the lesson learned, I should have given my contact information for a man I cared deeply about and loved to more people. I should have made sure the home health aide had my number. I should have gone to the neighbors who I interacted with numerous times when I was over there and said, hey, If anything happens, here's my number. Call me. I should have told Roger that, uh, hey, when you talk to your son, make sure you give him my number so that if something happens to you, he can call me. See, I thought Roger would call me. I thought he would press his button on his life alert thing, and I'd get a call there. None of that happened. So when Roger was at the hospital in ICU, having had a stroke, having had a heart attack, Having soon slipped off into eternity, I had no, no idea he was there. I had no opportunity to have that deathbed conversion that I was hoping for. So make a plan for how you can be contacted. Um, and that goes beyond just a friend or a neighbor, but even family members. I mean, to think about that. 
Who knows, Joan found her neighbor recently, had passed away on his garage floor. And uh, again, something very practical to consider to make sure that those that need to know, know. Number seven, the last thing, every opportunity may be your last. But let this sink in, every opportunity may be your last. I mentioned before, I cut Roger's grass for the last time on June 23rd. It was like any other day. He had a few extra things for me to do. He was excited about how his vegetables were doing. He'd even harvested a few things at that point. I don't even remember if we talked much about the Lord that day. I said goodbye, told him I'd see him him in about a week. And that was it. That was the last time, the last opportunity I ever had with Roger to share the gospel. Had he heard it before? Yes, absolutely. He could piece all these things together, but had, had he heard it clearly from point A to point Z? Again, I never made it that clear. I was always having to, as I mentioned before, be creative. So he had heard it before, but to my knowledge, Roger slipped off into eternity, never having asked Jesus to be his Savior. And that greatly saddens me. But it also reminds me that every opportunity may be your last. So don't squander it. Don't miss it. Seize it. Open your mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In John 13, Jesus grabbed a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Saved disciples as well as the lost disciple. And you know, he still does that for us today. Through his act of love and self-sacrifice on the cross, he effectively washes our feet every day of the muck and the dung of our wrong actions, our wrong thoughts, our wrong attitudes, our wrong motives. You've seen some of mine as ugly as they are this evening. And even though we may not feel qualified, he commissions us to follow his example and to serve others as he has served us. When it cost him so much, how can we refuse? How can we say, I'm too busy to be bothered with that? I can't inconvenience myself to do this. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to reflect on my friend this evening. I don't know that Roger is in heaven. I I don't think he is. Lord, you obviously know. Maybe I'll have a joyful reunion someday up there. But Lord, help me not to miss opportunities any longer. Help me to take advantage of people you put in my life that I may be able to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Lord, thank you for being willing to kneel down at my feet and wash them time and time and time again of the dirt and the dung and the muck from this world that gets in there. Lord, please forgive me of the times I've thought more highly of myself than I should think or that I thought something is below me or that uh, I've been full of pride or selfishness. 
Lord, continue to purge that out of my life. Help me to embrace this idea of doing humble things, of serving others, not to draw attention to myself, but to follow your example out of a demonstration for my gratitude and and my love for all that you've done for me. Lord, there may be someone that you've put on our heart this evening that we're in relationship with, that we love, that we care for, that, that we don't think knows the Lord as our Savior. Lord, may these thoughts spur us, motivate us, convict us to take that step and inconvenience ourselves and to sacrifice something to try and reach someone with the glorious gospel. Lord, we know that this isn't the only way that we reach people. I'm thankful for the the many very quick and short interactions where we may spend five minutes or ten minutes with someone and they bow their head and trust you as Savior and others have prepared that ground even before us. Some of them are there for the long haul. And so, Lord, help us to be active in both of these mission fields, wherever you lead us. Father, we love you. Bless these remaining moments now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I did have some questions that I wanted to share, get some interaction together on this topic. The first question is this. What has the Lord taught you as it relates to trying to reach someone with the gospel? What lessons has God taught you about trying to reach someone with the gospel? That would have been official for all of us to hear. Ben. That's all right. It's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. I invited Roger to Rainbow, I don't know how many times. <laughs> Never came once. I thought the food would get him there because he did like to eat. Um, somebody else? Something the Lord taught you about trying to reach someone with the gospel. Joan.
Some topics are lightning rod topics that you just steer clear of initially. At some point, you're going to have to broach that topic, but. Any others? Lessons learned. How about uh, what other ideas do you have to build relationships with lost folks? David. What other ideas do you have to creatively bridge to the gospel for those that maybe are difficult or not open to it? Or, or maybe, again, you say, I don't, I'm too old at this point, or I'm not able to go out and cut someone's grass or to roll around in their yard and <laughs> clean out flower beds. But there are other things that we can do. You know, can I tell you, Roger was lonely. Uh, he had some health issues this winter. He did not leave his home from before Christmas until after Easter. So that's a better part of four months. And he was lonely. And um, sometimes I would just pick up a meal and just, he liked a Chinese place up in Detroit, and I'd go and pick up what he liked and sometimes drop it off if he was uncomfortable with me staying because of, he was fearful of COVID because of his number of comorbidities that he had. Or just sometimes we'd come in and share a meal and I would just, again, use opportunities. One of the ways I tried to kind of the end of rounds was, Roger, how can I pray best for you today? And so, again, just you're trying to, you know, just subtly bridge to the gospel. And he was always very open to say, you know, pray this, pray my needs would be met, pray that. And so things like that. But other, other thoughts, ways that we can creatively bridge to the gospel, things that you've learned. Daniel has an idea back there. <laughs> Chris? Oh, Seth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was... One of the ways that I would try to make sure Roger heard the basics. Sean. There are many lonely people, like I said with Roger, like Roger, there are many lonely people and they just need a friend. And so maybe you're going just to sit and listen and converse, and then the radar's up. Help me to find ways to talk about the Lord and talk about his saving grace and the greatest need that they have. Chris. Everyone loves to talk about their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and uh, so that's a great way. Other thoughts? Lori. Um, well, this week I 
I think we have a tendency to believe that because, let's, let's say, someone doesn't have any visible outward issues. In fact, everything from the outside looking in looks fantastic. But the reality is almost everyone, especially those that don't know the Lord, the, the trauma and the tragedy and the pain that's going on behind that really nice-looking exterior is, is very real. And um, just finding a way to let folks know that we care and um, that we want to pray for them and help them in any way we can, I think uh, goes a long way that they have a safe person to possibly listen to them. So be a friend. Be a friend. David? Good, like that. All right, anybody else before we move on to prayer? I am meeting with the city this coming week, and I asked them after Roger's passing to look for other ways for our church to serve seniors around North Olmstead. And uh, I do think we need to bring back our Love North Olmstead Day. That was a great ministry. And um, Roger wasn't the first one that the Lord allowed me to build a long-term relationship with. And uh, so if you're looking for someone to help and you don't know who, let me know, and I'll find a way to plug in with someone. All right, a few prayer requests here. I heard from Chris tonight that Pat Nowak's mom, 